right. Hi. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Lisa Ann. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. Hello. Welcome. Glad you're here. Um, it's so nice to be here with you guys. It's been a long time since I've been at this meeting. I used to go when it was at the log cabin. Um, yeah, 9 o'clock felt really early back then, man. <laughs> really early. And it's funny, now I like wake up naturally before 5, which is quite annoying, I have to say. Um, but I knew I'd be on time. I knew I wouldn't be a problem. Um, anyway, I'm glad to be here. And I am a compulsive eater um, who tries to control and manage her weight by throwing up her food. That is what I do. Um, and this program has given me a way of life um, and a way of like looking at myself and seeing myself um, so that I don't have to do that anymore. Um, I don't use food to um, change the way I feel and I don't use bulimia to change the way my body looks. I don't abuse myself with those behaviors anymore. Um, and, and I was thinking about this this morning. I also, what this program has done for me is I also don't abuse myself with my own thinking anymore. Like that self-loathing and hatred and like de degrading and like just self-deprecation. I did. I don't do that anymore, which is, I think, honestly, the biggest miracle of this program. Um, that's my story. My story is about hating myself, like hating myself, hating my body, you know, hating you, too. You all were in it, in it with me. Um, and, um, and hating the way I felt, just like Feeling was not okay. I didn't want to feel anything. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Um, I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. Um, I do know that now. And, um, but like, you know, I knew something was like, in, 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 intuitively I knew something was wrong there. Like it was just, my, my mother was crazy angry at my father all the time. And my, my father was not present a lot of the time because he was out drinking. Um, and my mom drank at home, but um, she was there. And her rage at him bubbled over to all of us. And she was scary. <laughs> I kind of turned out to be scary, too, but um, that's a whole other situation. Um, but, yeah, so um, it was very confusing. And I had or have, should say, two older sisters and a younger brother um, at that time in that, that, that was my original family. My dad got married, remarried later and had uh, twin, uh, twins, and so I have a little brother and sister that are six months younger than my son, because that's America, right? Um, that's, that's, that's families in America. Um, but yeah, so, um, so his aunt and uncle are six, young, six months younger than he is. They weren't born yet. But yeah, so um, I just think that's amazing. Um, so like it was every man for himself in my family. The kids, like, so I grew up in an environment where 
I didn't get a lot of nurturing and love and attention. Um, and so I kind of like learned how to figure things out on my own, like, you know, um, which, you know, I mean, a lot of us, I think, identify with that. And then we end up taking, carrying those tools of like survival into adulthood. And it is a freaking nightmare from hell. Um, you know, it took me a long time to mature in this program. Oh my God. Like it's still, it's, I'm still under, you know, under reconstruction, but, um, it's gotten way better. Um, but my eating, so my eating didn't really become a problem until I was a teenager, but I remember as a young girl, five years old, because I was in kindergarten, and I, I, we lived in Chatsworth, and we lived in this little community, and I had a best friend named Helen, and at her house, they had a candy drawer, and I thought about that candy drawer all the time. Like that, my goal every day was to go over to Helen's to get into the candy drawer. And um, I was five. <laughs> we didn't have that kind of stuff at my house. Um, and I remember also one time, because we didn't have soda at our house either. And I remember one time standing in front of her refrigerator, and there was like a liter of soda, Pepsi, whatever it was. And I took it down and I just started guzzling it and then and then I woke up and I had I had like passed out I had like I don't know what happened if the bubbles went to my head or but I passed out guzzling a bottle of soda it turned out to be other beverages later in my life <laughs> it was soda um, but that's so that like those are the things I remember as a little kid like my you know there was also a, up the street there was this was a little bit later maybe when I was seven there was a store it was like a it, you know like came up but it was called the treasury this was in the valley and it was in um, it, it was called the treasury and they had these giant bins of like these chunks of chocolate that were wrapped in like cellophane or whatever and, and just stacked in this bin and I used to steal change from my dad and walk down to the treasury and buy big giant chunks of chocolate and hide them under my mattress and eat them. I was seven and that was my, but like it made me feel better. It made me feel better knowing it was there. Um, so I, I started to comfort myself with food at a young age. Um, and those are like very vivid, clear memories for me. Um, and then later, like when I was a teenager, oh my God, the awkwardness of being a teenager. I'll tell you this, you guys, coming back after COVID, being on Zoom, like all that weird awkwardness came back up. And like being around people was so uncomfortable at first. It was so, like I spoke at Light a Candle a while back and it was the first time I spoke live in a while. Don't listen to the recording because <laughs> I don't even know what story. I don't even know if I talked about food. I was like, I went into a shame spiral after it was horrible. Um, it was just like, wow. But it, I just, I forgot how to do this. I forgot. I did, couldn't remember how to do it. Um, it's very different when, when you're on the computer because you can't hear anybody's reaction. And that's so weird, right? I'm so glad. I'm so glad we're back together again. It's the best thing ever. Um, but anyway, so the awkwardness of being a teenager. 
And um, I threw up for the first time when I was like 16. Um, and it was after my first, like one of my first sexual experiences with my boyfriend at the time. And I went, we, we had lunch together and then I went in the bathroom and threw it up. And I, I, you know, I remember hearing girls at school talking about it. And, um, and the reason that I chose to do that in that moment was because I, I really felt sick to my stomach. But then it just became something very different for me. I must have set, felt like a huge sense of relief afterwards because it became my go-to from that time until many years. You know, I've had relapses in recovery. Um, I was 44 years old and I was still eating and throwing up. So that's, I mean, that's kind of amazing. Um, my abstinence date um, is February February 12th. I always get this wrong. It's February 12th, 2007. Um, and that's because I had a relapse um, after I moved to Florida for a period of time. For a period of time. I got married. <laughs> I moved to Florida for a period of time. I was married for a short period of time in Florida. Um, oh, my God. I, I always, whenever I talk about my marriage, I go, my marriage. I always use quotes. Marriage. I don't think, I really don't think that's what marriage is. But anyway, um, if I told you the story, you would agree. Um, but yeah, so I, anyway, so I, yes, I, so I came back and had my last relapse after I returned from that period of time. <laughs> um, and I'll maybe talk a little bit more about that later. But, um, but I, so I started throwing up at 16. And it worked for me. Um, you know, I, you know I, I think I mentioned sort of offhandedly that I'm in, the, I'm in the beverage program. So I was never a daily drinker, um, and, I, but I, and I threw up in between. So hand in hand, those things really complemented each other. <laughs> they helped a lot. And um, so when I wasn't, you know, binge drinking, I was binge eating and throwing up. And... Um, and what ended up happening was, I mean, there was, you know, I, I used to babysit children and binge and go throw up. It was little children, like like toddlers, younger. I mean, I don't know. I was just, I was not present um, for these children. And the fact that these people put their loving little children in my hands, I feel really bad. Um, I haven't been able to find them to make amends, so that's still on my list. But, um but yeah, so I was just, you know, I was drinking, I was binging, I was throwing up, I was totally numb to life, which is exactly how I needed it to be. Um, I was afraid of everything. I couldn't hold jobs. Um, I was a terrible waitress. People would like leave me a nickel and two pennies as my tip. Or they tell my, you know, they tell the manager that I was throwing the plates at them. I'm like, listen, if I were throwing plates at you, it would have left a mark. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, and but I loved working in restaurants because I always got fed and I could take the food home and and binge and throw up. Um, you know, when it when it got really really bad, um, it was in my like mid to late twenties, I think, and. Um, no, I'm going to say my mid-20s because I got sober at, at 26. So in my early to mid-20s, I was working at a restaurant. I was going home. I was binging. And I had a roommate. And I was binging and throwing up into 
trash bags in my closet because she had confronted me about throwing up in the bathroom. And she was like, you know, if you're going to throw up in the bathroom, at least clean up after yourself. So I was like, all right, I'll just throw up in the bathroom in my closet. Um, but, I mean, how horribly disgusting is that, right? Um, and then I would, like, sneak them out later, the bags. Um, so that was, that was probably, like, the beginning of my bottom um, in both areas of my life. But... The thing is, is that once, so I ended up getting sober at 26. Um, I was, I was pregnant. Um, I, I had been pregnant. I drank and used through my pregnancy. That's the truth of what happened. I had my son. He was 15 months old when I got sober. And I ended up going into rehab. And I told my counselor about my bulimia. And he really tried to help me. You know, he sent me to a therapist. Like, he, you know, I, I remember marking on a calendar. She was like, just try to, you know, mark on the calendar every day that you don't throw up. And I got to 30 days, and then I was like, this is too hard. And so I was sober in AA, going to meetings, doing the deal, having commitments, all the stuff. And I was binging and throwing up every day when I got home. And, you know, I had this little son that I was, that I was trying to care for. I was a single mother. Um... I did not know what I was doing. It was, you know, and, and our life was very compartmentalized. Um, like, you know, one bedroom apartment because that's all I could afford. He had the bedroom. I had the rest of the house. And, you know, so it was every man for himself in my little family, my son. And, um, and what happened was um, I, I binged and threw up eight years into my sobriety. Eight years. And I finally, I finally got to a place in recovery where I didn't want to die. I wanted to live. And um, that always makes me feel so emotional. Because I didn't care for so long, you know. I, I, you know, everything from that, from the time my son was born until that time when I wanted to live was about him. Like, I was alive because I needed to care for this kid. And, um, and I didn't do a very great job of it. But um, I wanted to live, so I started talking about my eating disorder with sponsors and, and who led me to one person and the other. Actually, I remember I was, I was, um, I was sponsored by this woman, Andy, and, um, in AA, and I told her, I said, Andy, I can't stop throwing up my food. And she goes, if you don't stop throwing up, I'm going to make you call Leslie E., and, and you're going to have to go to OA. And I was like, oh, Leslie E., get it. <laughs> Leslie's my sponsor today. Um, I, I literally stopped throwing up for two years on that, on that, you know, that alone. Like, and I didn't go to OA. I just stopped throwing up. So that was when the craziness of, like, obsession with my body and with calories and with what I could eat and what I couldn't eat, and dieting, like, oh my God. Like, that felt worse than the binging and throwing up, because at least when I was binging and throwing up, I was numb. This, I was, like, constantly, like, it was, like, looking for diets, trying diets, you know, 
thinking about calories, getting on the scale, getting off the scale, putting the scale away, standing on it, you know, like just, oh my God, trying to find workout routines. I hate exercise. I don't want to exercise. Okay, then I can't eat very much. It was just so crazy. Um, and inevitably what happened was I started throwing up again. That's what happened. And so I finally surrendered to the idea of coming to this program. And um, that was in 2002, so I think I was 11 years sober at the time. 2002, I started coming here, and oh my God. I, so I remember this, this woman, her name was Aliki. Her name is Aliki, she's still alive. Her name's Aliki, and um, she was in this program, and she was a recovering bulimic, and I remember her telling me, listen, you are probably going to gain weight when you first stop throwing up. So she said, but it'll all even itself out. And for whatever reason, I believed her. And you know what it is? It's because the language of the heart, I think the energy of it too, like we, we can feel it from each other. Like when somebody in this program tells me a truth, I can feel that it's real. You know what I mean? And that's so amazing. And I think that, you know, our, our higher power gives that to us so that we can get well here. So I believed her. But let me tell you, being a newcomer in this program, oh my, I was so angry. I was just like, Ugh! like just everything made me mad. And um, I, would, I, would, I remember I would be driving home from a meeting in my car because I kept trying to eat like, sugar-free or I, I wanted to like eat things that I wanted but I wanted it to not to affect how I felt or, or make me gain weight or like you know what I mean and so I would try to figure out ways to do it without it thank you without it really counting you know and so I would eat like sugar-free candy which if you're new don't do that <laughs> it's not it's not a nice thing to your body it's really really bad um, I remember once calling Leslie and being like I'm so sick my stomach's fully bloated and I just and she's she's I was like I've been eating sugar-free Reese's peanut butter cups and she goes do you still have them in the house and I was like yes and she's like okay go get them and flush them down the toilet, like as if they were drugs, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I did it, you know, but that's what it was like. And um, chewing gum until my jaw ached and just like, uh, you know, just, but, but the anger and the rage was the biggest thing. Like I remember, I, I still have, like I have these journals, you know, we journal a lot here. And, um, but my writing looked like a serial killer wrote it. It was just like, I effing hate me. And I was just like, so, why does he want to touch me? It was just like, I was insane. I was so insane. Like my poor boyfriend, I was just like, there must be something really wrong with you if you want to touch this. You know what I mean? Um, it took me a long time to get well here. And I had a couple of relapses, as I said. Um, that marriage that I that marriage that I was telling you about was really the catalyst to my being able to find recovery. Because when I was in Florida, I met this woman. Like I started throwing up there first, and then I met this woman in OA there, and she taught me how to eat. She taught me how to eat so that it worked for me. It was the first time in recovery that I felt abstinent, and. Um, and then that marriage didn't work out, and so I came back to L.A., 
and she sponsored me long distance. But after the marriage, because the marriage was really volatile and crazy, um, so there was a lot to look at when I came home. One of the things was this kid I'd been dragging around with me. I remember we were in his bedroom one day, and he was leaning over in his closet, and he stood up, and I, like, looked up at him. And he was like 6'2", and I was like, oh, my God, I was supposed to be raising a man this whole time. And that's not what I had been doing. So um, I'd just been dragging that kid around my life. And so everything changed. But I, but I had a period of seven months after I came home from there where I couldn't stop throwing up again. And then I got my moment again. I got my moment. It was given to me one more time, and I took it. And so I've been abstinent since February 12, 2007. And, um, and my life has gotten so much better. And, but, you know, my food, like, I don't throw up no matter what. My food's been up and down. Um, my weight's been a little up and down. I, I, I fluctuate, like, on a 12-pound thing. Like, my highest weight is 12 pounds from where I am now. Um, and, uh, you know, and so, and, but one of the things that, that's been such a gift is that in, within those 12 pounds, I've still been able to love myself here. I've still, it, you know, I, I buy clothes that fit my body. That was one of the best directions that Leslie ever gave me. Wear clothes that fit the body you have today. And that's what I do. And, um, you know, I mean, right now I don't eat meat. I don't eat meat because cows are like giant puppies and I can't eat them. <laughs> that's, that's my reasoning. But I do eat fish as my source of protein and seafood because I need, I need it to be easy. I need my meals to be easily. I can't be messing around with, like, making, you know, tofu burgers. and Like, I can't do it. I tried to be vegan. I can't do it. It's too hard. So I had to give myself permission to eat in a way that works for me. And, and we all have different ways. Thank you for sharing your abstinence um, of how this works for us. And, um, and as I've gotten older, it's been different. You know what I mean? As I've gotten older, my body's like, I don't need that much food, Lisanne. And I'm like, what? It's not fair, you know? It's not fair. I want more. But, um, but you know what's interesting? What I realize is, as I've aged and as that's been the truth, my, it's like I'm not as hungry. You know what I mean? And I don't know if that's recovery or if that's just my body. But... Um, but things are good today. And that son that I dragged around my life has his own life now. He's 32 years old. Whenever I talk about him, he sounds like he's 12. He's 32. Um, I try very, I go to another program so I don't treat him like a 12-year-old. Um, that has been really hard for me. I have to be, I have to be honest. Um, you know, that has been really hard. But, um, but yeah, you know, this last, I, I, I thank you, I'll, I'll wrap this up. I finished the 12 steps one more time uh, at the, earlier this year, and in the, those last three steps, I realized how unbalanced certain relationships were. And so that's what I've been working on, is balancing. My son was one of them, and so I've really been letting him go, and, um, and it's been a gift for both of us. And so this program's amazing. I hope you stay. I hope you come back. It works. It really does. Thank you for letting me be here. All right. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, 
please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay. Does anybody have any questions? Can you talk about the moment of that precise moment of transition when you went from unwillingness to do something to willingness to do something. So the question is um, to to describe that precise moment where I went from unwillingness to willingness. Hmm, that's a good question. It's happened so many times though. Which one should I pick? Um, so. Uh, it's hard to describe, actually, I think. But um, this is, so most recently, um, you know, I talked about, uh, like, trying to be vegan. I'll just talk about that. But, like, um, it's really, it, it, for me, it's been, it was really, really hard. My, my, the way that I live my life, it wasn't, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit my lifestyle because I'm so busy all the time. And I feel like it takes a lot of preparation. That's just my experience. But, um, and so I was, tra- but I was trying to force it to be the way that I lived. And, um, and it wasn't working. And the truth was I was gaining weight because the easiest thing to do was to eat a lot of carbohydrates, quite honestly, for me. And so, um, and it was, I was so uncomfortable and, but I wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to live my life that way. That's what I wanted to do. And so I was trying to force it. And I kept, I, I, you know, I started to pray about it. And um, one of the things that I, that I did, that I became willing to do, was to do, I don't know, there's a sober workshop for sober eating. Um, if you go to the OA birthday party. Um, I did that. I did that, that sober eating workshop myself at home. I listened to it. And one of the things that it, that it has you do is to write down your, well, first of all, the foods that are okay, all the different foods that are okay to eat, not okay to eat, um, you know, what you struggle with, all this different stuff, but also your thoughts around food, like the thinking. Oh, my gosh. And, um, and I had done that workshop. And I, for some reason, that the, the pages were sitting on my desk. I was at home working, and I picked them up and I was looking through them, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right. Like these are the things that work for me. This is the kind of eating that works for me." And I was trying to do this, like you know, whatever this thing that clearly isn't working. And so I, I became willing to follow the guideline of that, what I had written on there. And I realized as I was, as I was looking at, at it that, like, I needed to find a source of protein for me that I was okay eating so that it, didn't, so that it wasn't hard, so that it was easy. Mm-hmm. Because it needs to be easy. I, if it's hard, it, it doesn't work. And so I made a decision you know, I became willing to add, like, fish and, and seafood into my food plan so that it would be easier for me. And from that day to this, and it's been in the last, like, year, um, it's been easy. 
And it's because I, I became willing to let go of an idea that I thought was important for me to do something that, that maybe God knew was better for me. And, um, and yeah, it really has been life-changing. And I, you know, and there's been other times, too, where I've been unwilling and then willing. Um, it, you know, it happens all the time, like daily, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, talking to sponsors, you know, having sponsors and talking, reason, reasoning things out with someone else is always really helpful. And for me, too, journaling and writing, always super, super helpful to help me see, it, you know, in black and white, what's going on with me and how I'm trying to manage and control things. Because a lot of times it's about fear for me. Um, I'm afraid I'm not going to get what I want or I'm going to lose something I have. And so I want to manage and control it because I know best, right? Um, and, and this was a perfect example where clearly I did not, I did not know best for me. So I, I hope that answers your question. Thank you so much. Um, I relate to so much as a woman uh, to what you said. Um, how do you think about um, integrating your higher power into your program? Um, I have a lot of shoulds, you know, I should all over myself. So, like, how do you think about um, integrating your higher power into some of the daily I want tos or I do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So maybe tell me a little about what your daily routine is. Sure. So, how do I integrate my higher power into my daily life and and thinking. (laughs) Um, So I have a very regular, it's not every single day, but it's most days. Some days I just get on the couch and turn on the TV, (laughs) which never benefits me at all. But most days I have like at least an hour quiet time in the morning and I I get up early to have it. And, um, And it's really my favorite time in the day. And I have, um, so I have, you know, my little, I get my coffee, I have a little spot on the couch in my living room. I love my space. I have all my things around me, and it's just comfortable and cozy. And, um, and my, you know, I have baskets of my books underneath my coffee table, and I just pull out my books and I read. Um, I, you know, so that, and then I'm in an inventory right now. Um, a very specific one, working on specific things. So I'll do some writing from that. Sometimes I'll just journal, like if I'm really angry about something or if I have a resentment. That's really how I integrate my higher power into... I'm struggling with a resentment right now. And um, and I don't want to be mad, you know. I'm in a, I'm in a point in my recovery where... I know. I was reading at one of my one of my books this morning, and it had, there's this quote. It says, "Resentments mark the places where I see myself as a victim." Oh, isn't that awful? <laughs> victim is like the worst word ever. Um, and I don't want to be a victim, but I really don't want to be angry anymore. It's taken me a long time to like take that off. So my quiet time is spent integrating recovery, the recovery that, I, that I've learned, the ways in which I've learned them, the tools, the literature I read a lot, because that really infiltrates my thinking. Like, I need something, if I'm left to my own devices, I'm like thinking about the resentment, which I've been doing lately, and I'm like, I can't, I don't want to wake up that way anymore. So I read my literature, and I, you know, one of the things I did 
this last couple of days was I, in the back of my books, I looked up resentment and I read all the pages on resentment. And I just feel like the tools of this program that I've been given are the ways in which I, I bring my higher power. I feel like that's, it's all in what we have here. God is here, whatever that looks like for each of us. Um, you know, I, my, my higher power and the ways in which I connect with my higher power changes a lot. Like, it, it, it's, it's fluid. It's different. Some days I really, really believe, and some days I'm like, you know, no, nah, <laughs> it, it's not real. And so I'll, I'll use other people's faith to help me. Um, but just, you know, and I do, like, I have a meditation app that I use in the morning um, just to, like, get some positive thoughts into my, but just that, that period of quiet time that I, it really is a gift that I give to myself each day. And, um, and it's where I have my, probably my most spiritual moments. And then I go out into the day and I become me again. <laughs> and, um, and I have to fight for what I, what I got this morning, you know. So I hope that answers your question. All right, thanks. Um, are you living with any physical ramifications of the abuse to your body? You know, if so, how do you, like, deal with giving yourself so the question is, do I have any physical ramifications of the abuse I've done to my body? Honestly, I've been really lucky. Um, you know, even the dentist says that my teeth are strong, which I thought was very shocking. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't think I do, actually. I, you know, my, you know I'm, I'm very healthy. You know, but I think that, you know, the reason is because when we, when we come into this program, coming into this program and changing the way that I treat my body, um, you know, our, I, think, I, think, I think my body was built, the way that it was made, the way that God intended is for it to be able to heal itself. And when I'm treating it well, that's what it does. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I've been very lucky. I've been very, very fortunate in that I don't have, like, any heart issues. Because that was, honestly, that was my fear. That moment where I was like, I want to live and not, I don't want to die. I was worried about my heart. I was worried I was going to have a heart attack. And, um, and I had this little kid that I needed to care for. So, um, but I've been very, very fortunate that I haven't had any, as, as far as I know, now, nothing, nothing, nothing terrible. So, yeah. so uh, how did you get over your shame spiral after a light candle? Um, it's gotten easier over the years. Um, uh, I don't sit in it as long. I remember when I was newer, um, and I would go on speaking engagements, and especially the long shares, the worst. Um, there's so many, there's so much possibility to make mistakes, you know what I mean, in that half hour, rather than a ten minute. Ten minutes is nothing. Um, but I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night and just like angst over it, just like rolling it in my head and just being like, you stupid, you know, whatever. But I don't, 
as I said, like this program's removed that loathing. So like a shame spiral for me today is not the same as it, it used to be. Like there's no beating myself up. It's more like, oh my God, how embarrassing. You know what I mean? Like I, I have no clue what I said. And my sponsor was there. It was very funny. Like she's like, good job. She like patted me. I was like, yeah, um, of course, because that's what everybody says. But um, thank you. Is that, is that, are we done? Five oh, five more minutes. Okay. So, um, so it, it, it probably, there, there really isn't a lot of repercussions these days. Like I get over it quite quickly and just move on with my life and don't listen to the podcast to make myself feel worse. <laughs> um, just let it go. Let it be. I was like, listen, you don't have to. You don't have to put that up if you don't want to. Um, but that's all my ego, right? Like, maybe there's somebody that heard something that was... Like, I don't know. I don't know. Usually what happens when I share is that I'll think I did a horrible job, but at least one person will come up to me and thank me and say something, tell me something that they've heard. I'm like, I said that? Like, I didn't hear myself say that at all. But, um, but we hear what we hear. We hear what we need to hear. No matter what the person's saying, we hear what we need to hear. And so there's always somebody that's helped, and that's really all that this is about. It's not about me, really, you know what I mean? Um, even though I want to make it about me and I want to be a star and whatever. Um, you know, I'm just grateful that I have recovery and that, you know, I get the opportunity. I always look at speaking, too, like when people ask me to speak, because I never want to do it. Um, I feel like that's God calling. That's God calling. Like, it's not. In fact, I spoke at a, a, in a different program. I got asked to speak uh, last Thursday, and um, not the Thursday, but the Thursday before. And she, she was like, I called lots of people. And, uh, and she was like, I'm sorry, you weren't my first choice. And I go, yeah, but I was God's first choice. <laughs> right? Because that's God calling. Like, when, you, when it's your time, when God wants you to show up, that's what it is. I just look at it like that. So... I did what I was supposed to do, God. <laughs> Hope that answers it. <laughs> any, any other questions? Uh, how is your relationship with your siblings now, especially if you get together and discuss, let's say, your parents, had, you know, your, your upbringing, mm. and you, they bring back a lot of the, oh, this happened to us, and how do you not sometimes go down that rabbit hole? That is such a good question. Um, so do I, how are my relationships with my siblings and, um, do we all go down the rabbit hole when we talk about our, our upbringing and our parents? Um, so the, the two of my siblings, my middle sister and my younger brother have kind of estranged themselves from the family. So I don't have a lot of contact with them, but my oldest sister is in recovery Um, She's been sober longer than me, and she's also a member of Al-Anon. And so her and I have lots of conversations. And um, it's interesting because the way that it used to be is that we would, like, relive it and rehash it and, like, like be angry at our parents and stuff. But we've both been in recovery a really long time now. So now both of us have – we've learned to have boundaries here. And – like, if she wants to talk about something that makes me feel like I don't want to go there, I'll say, you know what, That's, I don't want to talk about that with you. Um, and she'll do the same with me. Or we'll ask each other questions like, 
is like I want to tell you a story. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> like, do you want to hear it? And we get so we give each other choices, and um, and also um, our experience together. Like she remembers things very differently than I do because we each had our own perceptions of what happened. Um, my sister was the oldest, and so she ended up being kind of in charge of all of us, and none of us listened to her. You know what I mean? And so her. But what's also interesting is that. Even though we had different experiences, our reactions to life and to relationships are very, very similar. We both have very similar trust issues and things like that because we grew up in the same environment. Um, it just looks a little bit different. And so with my sister that's in recovery, having that relationship and somebody to bounce stuff off, is helpful to me. It's become a tool, a helpful tool. Like if I'm trying to remember something, she can help me remember, and I do the same for her. Um, but she has, like, her feelings about our parents are very different than mine. I've been able to kind of amend those relationships, and I think because she was the oldest and she had the burden of being in charge, she's she's not there yet. She has longer recovery than I do, so it it's different for us. And so she's still working through those resentments with our parents, and I've been lucky enough to kind of work through mine and have pretty close relationships with my parents. So I hope that answers. Thanks. Thanks.